to you all. So it is my privilege to open up the text this morning and preach God's word to you. I'm going to start my timer so I don't talk too long. Um, so if you start yawning, that'll be your nonverbal cue like James, wrap this thing up, okay? So, um, so my name's James. I'm married to Leah. I've got three boys uh, at home in Bowling Green. We've got twin 11-year-olds and a 7-year-old, and uh, my wife, bless her, is managing them uh, at home while I'm here this morning. And um, I want to just say a little bit about why Ephesians before I open it up this morning. Why the book of Ephesians? Because obviously I'm kind of jumping in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a text that has a lot more to say. That feels like, why this? And I think one of the great things about looking at the book of Ephesians together is that the church in Ephesus in their day and age was in what we would we could consider it like a pluralistic society. They had a lot of competing messages about what goodness was, what right and wrong were, what morality ought to be, what ethics should be. And I think we can immediately kind of identify some with that with the culture that we live in today. There's a lot of competing messages about what is right, what is good, what we ought to believe, how we ought to live. And so this church is a new church. This is the first century. So the Apostle Paul is 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 coaching up the church in Ephesus about what it means to follow Jesus in light of what he's done, in light of his life, in light of his death, in light of his resurrection, and in light of his promised return, and in light of the Holy Spirit having been poured out. Here we are in the second Sunday after Pentecost last week where the church celebrates the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and this text is actually a really good kind of uh, echo of that theme that we remember of what happened over the course of redemptive history, okay? So with that being said, I'm going to jump into the text. I'm going to start in chapter 5, verse 15, but I'm going to focus on verses 20 and 21, especially for the purpose of preaching this morning. I encourage you to listen carefully as this is God's word. So starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, hear the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray that the Holy Spirit would use this time to glorify Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as needy people. We come to you as people whose hearts are like gospel sieves that constantly need the gospel poured into it. I am no different. I'm in just as desperate need as everyone else in this building today. And Lord God, we thank you that you have sent your spirit to empower all of us who are united to Christ by faith. That you do not call us to follow Jesus out of the power of our flesh because that is impossible. But rather you make us new and you call us to follow Jesus out of your power, your power working in us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that your power would work right now through this preaching of your word. I pray that if I say anything that's distracting or unhelpful, it would be forgotten quickly, but I pray that the things that glorify Jesus and lead us to deeper repentance and deeper faithfulness, that those things would stick like glue, that they would be a seed falling into good soil that bears fruit in season. So Lord, be with me now and bless me as I preach your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in the classic Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, not that weird one with Johnny Depp. Yes, I'm judging it hard. Um, the, the one with, uh, with uh, Gene Wilder, right? That's the best one. Um, there's this scene where this girl named Baruch Assault, uh, she walks into this incredible room where there are geese laying chocolate golden eggs. And she immediately starts demanding one for herself and a whole bunch of other stuff, too, if you remember the scene. And her dad kind of weakly is like, oh, you can have all that stuff when you get home. And she won't have it. So she breaks into this song. I'm going to resist the temptation to sing it to you. But this is how the song goes, all right? She's, she answers him singing, no, now! I want a ball. I want a party. Pink macaroons and a million balloons. And performing baboons. And give it to me now! I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I want today. I want tomorrow. I want to wear them like braids in my hair, and I don't want to share them. I want a party with rooms full of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream, and if I don't get the things I'm after, I'm going to scream. I want the works. I want the whole works. Presents and prizes and sweets and surprises of all shapes and sizes. And now, I don't care how, I want it now. And as we hear the words of this song, we think, ah, she's delightful, right? You know, this is a dramatic representation of the selfishness of a child, right? And there's a, we all have kind of a natural reaction to hearing that kind of selfishness expressed, and we go, at least I'm not that bad, right? But here's the thing. We need to look at her a little bit more, because I think we can identify with some of the things about Veruca. She's a child of wealth. She is privileged beyond measure. She has a father who delights in giving her everything she wants and asks for to a fault. She wears fine clothes and she's well-kempt. We look pretty good here this morning. She's singing this song from inside of an exclusive party with backstage closed-door access to the chocolate factory. But she's not thankful to anyone for anything. Wonka speaks up and her father attempted to get her to submit to his words, but she won't submit. Her song ends when she stands on top of this contraption that has like this gauge behind her and she's singing her song, petulant, and there's this gauge that has good, bad, egg, you know? And as she's singing, the trap door opens up as it swings to bad egg and she falls through. That's the last you see of Veruca. That's the end of it for her. Why do I tell you this story? To point out selfishness in others. To point out other people not being thankful to point out other people not submitting when they ought to submit. To point out other people who are just wrong in ways that offend us is really easy. It is much more difficult to look in the mirror. There's that expression that every time you point, there's three fingers at least pointing back at you, right? That's the nature of all of us. The reality is, is that we can all be pretty selfish. We can all be pretty thankless. We all fail to submit in times when we ought to submit, as God has called us to in those times and places. So the passage of Ephesians that we're looking at together today reminds us that for everyone in Christ, and in fact, if you aren't in Christ, if you don't believe in Jesus, I want you to hear that there is a better way. The wild selfishness and thanklessness and inability to submit to those we ought to submit to, there's a better way to live because of what Christ has done and because of what Christ is doing. So a question I want to ask as we get ready to look at this text this morning, kind of a big overarching question, is where do we go, what do we do to deal with our selfishness? 
to deal with our thanklessness, to deal with our inability to submit when we ought to submit in those good and right times. So if you tune out today and you're like, all right, James, I'm already thinking about lunch. The one sentence where all of this is going today is, this is like ABC's basic Christianity, but I'll unpack it a little bit more. Because Christ showed us how to love, we ought to follow his example, all right? We ought to follow his lead as he leads us as our Lord. So in two points, you have this, if you're looking at your digital bulletin, the, these points are in your digital bulletin too, um, stated in a long sentence is, because Christ showed us how to love God in thankfulness, verse 20, and because Christ showed us how to love one another in submission, verse 21, believers ought to follow his lead. I hope you hear the greatest commandment embedded in that framework there. All right, so let's dig in, all right? Um, how does walking with Christ change our ungratefulness before God, all right? Um, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, my wife, Leah, and I were married in 2004, right after I finished my undergrad in Valdosta State University in Valdosta, Georgia, a small little state school there. And we lived the married with no kids lifestyle until uh, 2011, when our kids were born, our twins were born. And in between that, we had a situation where a verse like verse 20 is really put to the test, giving thanks always and for everything. Because in December 2007, I was serving as a captain and battalion staff officer in the United States Army, and I found out that in March 2008, we would leave for a combat zone deployment to Iraq for 455 days. Now, that's 15 months for you math studs out there. A regular army deployment in those days was 12 months, all right? Um, but Operation Iraqi Freedom was hot and heavy in those days, and deployments were extending for most regular units, as I was in one of those. And I did not give thanks for the idea of 12 months apart from my wife, so you can imagine how I felt about 15 months apart from my wife, all right? I was really not in the mood to give thanks for what God had provided. And this is to my shame, but I look back on it, and in that time, I wasn't really thinking about the guys in my unit. I was thinking about myself, first and foremost, and above all. I was very concerned about what all this meant for me. So I knew that soldiers were often divorced um, because of their long separations over deployments and regular deployments. I also knew that whether I died or whether I was injured or whether I was honorably discharged, I knew I wasn't going to continue serving in the Army. I already had a sense that the Lord was calling me to a different vocation in that time. But I didn't know what that was. So on the surface, I was looking at this situation in that day and age and going, what is there to give thanks for? I'm sure you've been there in certain circumstances in your life. This appears to be an objectively bad situation for me that Leah and I must endure together, but separated. So give thanks. Yeah, right. That's where my heart was in that time. The possibility that God could use even those events for good was highly unlikely to me. The strange thing about following Christ, though, the strange thing about being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit is that God gives us a different way, a different way for believers to look at situations like what my wife and I would soon learn through experience. In Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, when we follow his lead, it becomes possible to give thanks even in times like these instead of being ruled by selfishness. So in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 5, 
Paul is continuing through a thought that he introduced back in verse 18. If you heard that when I read it earlier, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. The word for debauchery there, the Greek word, has to do with spilling, right? So we lose it a little bit in the English, but do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, spilling, but be filled, there's your contrast, with the Holy Spirit. And he continues addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, and continuing. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is what Paul is continuing to unpack in verses 20 and 21. That's where I'm focusing today. So verse 20 begins with one of those words ending in ing. It's a participle. It's a word that describes a reality that is consistent with being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what it looks like. That is, giving thanks. Giving thanks is not like a hard idea for us to understand. Like, we get it. We have a holiday Thanksgiving. We thank people for, you know, holding the door for us. It's not a big deal, right? It's not a hard idea to understand. The challenge is a lot of the when and how behind giving thanks. When when naturally comes to us, it comes to us in our flesh is selfishness. So there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that's also in your digital bulletin where he said, I have learned to kiss the wave that, is, that throws me against the rock of ages. What a profound image that is. Rock of ages, of course, kids, is a name for God. That being driven closer to God is actually a good thing that happens to us in the midst of our hardship. Even though the hardship itself is not necessarily a good in and of itself. So, this image that Spurgeon gives us is, it captures a reality of walking with Christ by faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is from a heart filled with the Holy Spirit that we are able to give thanks always and for everything because our flesh wars against that. So, it gives us the ability to give thanks not only in times of ease but also in times of hardship. Not only in times of health but also in sickness. In times of the abundant life and yes, even in death. So when Leah and I weathered our 455 very long days apart, 15 very long months, it was very difficult for me to give thanks in that moment for everything. What time has given us the perspective to see is just how much God actually blessed us in that time. So Leah reminded me as I was preparing this sermon that in that time, the Lord provided for us financially in such a way that we were able to transition out of one vocation into another and be kind of in the middle of kind of making a way through new things, totally different, for six years. Because of all the, you get tax-free pay when you're a downrange in a, in a combat zone. We were living in Europe, so we were getting another $1,000 a month allowance for living in Europe. So we were, we were banking all that. No kids, remember? Married, no, married, no kids. So then when I was time to follow the Lord's leading into wherever he was calling me next, I thought that was the corporate world, but surprise, surprise, he slammed those doors hard and said, actually, no, you're going into ministry right now. Um, so Leah reminded me that that was part of how God cared for us in that time, though I didn't necessarily have the eyes to see it as it was unfolding. Um, now, I remember in 2008, some of y'all remember what happened with the economy at that time? Like, that was bad. Like, if any of y'all were invested in, like, like, real estate or anything, like, you're still like, ah, please don't talk about 2008, and that was when I was, about when I was getting out, so it was kind of a dicey time, but the Lord provided. Spiritually speaking, my wife discovered 
that God put women in her life who encouraged her and walked with her that she would likely not have bonded with if we had not been separated. There's an organization that the Army has called Protestant Women of the Chapel. At least there used to be. I've been out for a long time now. But that was an organization that she had no interest in participating in but until we were separated. And now she's still friends with some of these Christian women that she met there who still walk with her and encourage her. That was another thing we didn't see coming. So I found it was a time in the desert being in uh, Tikrit, Iraq for those 15 months in more ways than one. You've ever heard the expression, a time in the desert is a time of focus, a time of austerity where you have less distraction so you, can, you, you become more focused on uh, bigger things. While we were there, the Lord spared our unit from much of the wartime violence that was common in other places in that country. I was able to grow spiritually in my walk with Christ and to, to grow in my understanding of many things about God and myself and how I should relate to him in those days. That time prepared me to launch me into a new vocation, to launch me into ministry, putting me in this pulpit today where I have the privilege of declaring Christ to you and him crucified and resurrected and the hope that comes with that. I'm thankful today. I wasn't thankful then. So I didn't have the spiritual maturity to give thanks in that time for all that God was doing. What I've since come to see, even imperfectly, is that my selfishness about my wants, my, uh, my uh, timing, my choices, my freedoms, was related to how much I believed in Christ showing us the way to love God unselfishly. On the night he was betrayed, as Christ celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, when he raised the cup, the sign of his very own blood, soon to be shed, in part because one of his closest friends is going to betray him, he gives thanks. Don't miss the weight of that. If you remember nothing else, remember Christ gave thanks before everything that was about to happen, knowing what he came to do. He did that because he loved us, to make a way for us. He gives thanks before he calls the disciples to drink of this cup. So one of my favorite summaries of what God has done through Jesus Christ is in 2 Corinthians 5.21, okay? If you're scribbling notes and you haven't highlighted this one in your Bible yet, I encourage you to do so. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is profound, what Jesus has done for us. Christ, the only true and righteous one, betrayed by his own, soon to suffer a shameful and painful death on the cross for the sins of others, gives thanks. He gives thanks for the cup, the blood of the covenant. I have some diagnostic kind of things to just kind of throw at you like spaghetti to see if any of it sticks. All right? When you envision who Christ is as Lord in your sanctified imagination, in the eyes of your heart, do you envision him as a leader who is leading you, who is leading us? Do you see our king who looked at his coming death for our good and gave thanks? Behold our king. 
Behold the one who sent the Holy Spirit to fill everyone who's united to him by faith. Behold the one who unites us to himself and gives us the power to follow him, to give thanks always and for everything. For the joy set before him, it tells us in Hebrews 12, 2, he endured the cross. The joy set before him. And you might be thinking right now, but James, I can't just give thanks. It's 2022. I cannot keep up with the amount of violence that is on the news, the amount of discord in our communities. I cannot keep up with the amount of conflict in my own household. Look, I cannot keep up with any of it. How can I give thanks? Don't you know about what happened this morning before church? And maybe you're thinking that because you don't have a relationship with the Lord at all. Maybe you're thinking that because your faith in Jesus has been shaken. There could be any number of reasons you are feeling those things if you identify with any of that. And if you're feeling any of that, I want you to hear me loud and clear here. I want you to hear the opposite of shame. I know. Like, I know. I'm not, I'm not better than you. Like, I need the gospel poured into me just as much as any other person in this room. One of the best pictures I have of our need of a constant abiding and being poured into by the Lord is that our hearts are like colanders, like that bowl that has all the holes in it, right? And if you pour fast in it, it looks like it's filling up. But as soon as you stop pouring, it all rolls out the bottom and it looks empty. That is us when we try to live apart from Christ, even if we've tried to taste him before. We need to be constantly, every day, depending on God, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who will persevere us till the end, who will preserve us till the end, if we are relying on his power and not our own, in the power of our flesh. So if that's you struggling this morning, you and I get the same invitation. Believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. He goes before us. He leads us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. So let us look to God to fill us with the Holy Spirit more and more every day as we stumble and bumble our way forward unto the things that he has promised to us in glory. So Jesus Christ shows us what it looks like in practice to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind in giving thanks. Always. And for everything. What do we do with this? Some application, all right? The cure for our selfishness is not scolding or shaming, which is a reminder that I need often in parenting, all right? The cure for selfishness is not scolding or shaming. We must have a vision in, our, in the eyes of our heart based upon Christ as he is proclaimed in the scriptures of who we ought to become in light of who Christ is, uniting to him by faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is after that and only after that that we can proceed in living the Christian life, not in the power of our flesh of just trying to, what would Jesus do our way through our logic and our trying and our bootstraps? It doesn't work that way. So whether you're putting your faith in Christ for the first time this morning, and I, my sincere hope is maybe the coin is dropping for somebody about who Jesus is and the beauty of what he's done for us, or whether you are recommitting your life to him by faith, Repentance is what we are all called to, to turn from our sin and turn to follow him. So let us search ourselves and listen for God's calling to turn from selfishness wherever it lies in our lives and, all the, and to turn from all the rest of the ungratefulness that we have in our hearts 
as we follow after him. So are we cultivating a heart of thankfulness for all the blessings that we have? There's another diagnostic question. It does not make sense for a Christian to have a glass half empty attitude toward God. If you turn to Revelation 21, you're going to see how the story ends. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no suffering nor death anymore for the old things will pass away. He is making all things new. The story ends in glory. So it doesn't make sense for a Christian to have a glass half empty attitude toward God. Of course, Christians are invited to mourn and lament. And culturally, I don't know about y'all, if you see this, if you, can, you don't have to amen this, but I think we kind of stink at this. Mourning and lamenting. We've kind of tipped the scale the other way. We're supposed to have joined the Lord, so we don't know how to mourn. We don't know how to lament. How about this? How about the joy and the mourning and the lament are all twisted together like a cord? That's what it looks like when you walk with Jesus. And it is profound. So we, we are not people who mourn as the world does, but we're people who mourn with hope because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Is your social media usage, your news intake, giving you a greater or lesser degree of thankfulness for what God is doing in your life and in the lives of others? Corporately, as the church, we're called to mind our public witness, right? Let us work together then for our part, wherever we are, as individuals, as families, as local body, before the watching world to display a heart that is marked by giving thanks to God, especially when it is hard to do so. Not artificially, but truly. I'm not talking about cheap, yellow, happy face sticker Christianity that's just happy, clappy all the time. I'm talking about that joy that is mixed with sorrow, that is real and genuine and life-giving to people who are hurting when you share that with them. So this is the way that the church can display, this is a way that the church can display that we are people who love the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind as we give thanks. So I asked, how does walking with Christ change our ungratefulness before God? The takeaway from verse 20 is this, because Christ showed us how to love God in thankfulness, believers ought to follow his lead, but not by the power of the flesh. Not by your bootstraps, but by the power of the Spirit working within us. So Christ's thankfulness leading up to the cross is so dramatic if we really think about it, if we don't just let it pass over us because we feel like we've heard it a hundred times. I wasn't thankful for the hardships that came from my deployment at that time, but as I look back, it was a wave that threw me against the rock of ages, and I am still learning to kiss the waves. It's okay if you are too. So like Joseph in Genesis 50, what the devil intends for evil, God intends for good for everyone who is called according to his purpose. So my own selfishness can come out in being ungrateful for the good things I have, like little Miss Veruca, but my selfishness isn't only in being ungrateful sometimes. Verse 21 gives us an opportunity to consider another way our selfishness can show up. So who here loves being told what to do? Don't raise your hands. Don't say amen audibly. Just answer in your heart, right? Who here loves being told what to do? I know there's not a lot of people in the room who love that. Uh, I feel it. You feel it. And we have for a long time, if we're honest. What's one of the first things that kids learn to say to their parents? No! <laughs> right? 
Think of it, we like to live our life according to the old slogan for Burger King most of the time, have it your way. That's what we prefer. That's what I prefer in my flesh. That's what the Lord is helping me to put to death daily. But it still pops up like whack-a-mole because he's not done with me yet. All right? So, how does following Christ change us from people who, instead of having a natural bent toward only loving ourselves, to start to have a bent toward loving our neighbors as Christ did? How does Christ change the way that we love our neighbor as ourselves? So I've watched my fair share of mixed martial arts in my day, and I've learned just enough that if I tried to use it, I would get really hurt. Um, shout out to anybody who knows about the combatives program. I don't know if the chaplain in the back knows about it. As, as uh, level one certified, they made us do that when I was in there back in the day. Um, so if you know anything about mixed martial arts, there's different ways to win the matches. There's point scoring, there's knockouts, and then there's submission. Submission. We hear that word, and that might make our brain light up with all kinds of things. We hear that word, and we're like, mm, what do I think about that word? We might picture that fighter who is grimacing in those final moments before he taps out to show that he is admitting defeat to the other fighter. So that word submission might bring up thoughts in your, uh, in your imagination of being dominated, being abused, overpowered, bullied, defeated. It might stir those things. And in our culture, it is a very unpopular word. But God's word presents submission in a whole new way for believers, though. The more we read the text, the less we see submission as something that the culture would say is only abusive. In God's kingdom, in Christ, an entirely different kind of submission is possible when we are filled with the Holy Spirit as we follow after him. It is completely different from how our culture thinks about it because it is a loving, non-toxic, non-codependent version, version of submission. It is this submission that is good and right and holy and exactly what God calls us to. So in verse 21, we see that submitting to one another is another result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is fruit of being connected to the living vine who is Jesus Christ. If you remember in John 15 where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? That is one of the things that he stirs in us. Praise God. So the fruit from being connected to the vine of Christ is learning to submit to one another as Christ submitted to the many. In Christ, in fact, we do this out of reverence for him. Reverence is like this holy fear. It's like a deep respect for who Jesus is. So submitting to one another is not our culture's idea of egalitarian submission, right? This verse here in verse 21 is a pivot point for explaining the ways that we submit to one another according to God's word in the following verses. So I won't get into um, what ought to be saved for a future sermon following uh, this text that I'm preaching this morning, but in a minimum, I can say that it's inspired, it's trustworthy, you should believe it, and you should read it after I'm done today, but in a minimum, this kind of submission is the kind that Paul describes in Philippians 2, verse 3, where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Oh, that's all, Paul, no big deal, right? <sighs> Easy to say entirely different to practice and impossible to practice in the power of our flesh only in the power of the spirit we can do this 
So the way that we can unlock what it means to submit to one another is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. This is an important principle. We look to Jesus Christ as he submitted to God the Father, as we heard in Luke 22 in the reading, where he prayed, not my will, but yours be done before going to the cross. Then Christ submitted to the guards, the chief priests, the officers, the elders, the people, unto death for people like us. So we could be free from our own lovelessness toward one another, from the chains of sin and death. So when Simon Peter pulls his sword out and fights to keep Jesus from submitting to the guards, Jesus reminds him, my translation, hey buckaroo, I could appeal to my father and he would send me at once more than 12 legions of angels. This is not Jesus submitting because he has no other choice. He chooses to do so. He who created mankind in his image, submitted to his creation to be mocked, beaten, and killed shamefully on a cross. And as he died, he prayed even for those who hated him, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He is the one we're united to by faith. So I asked, how does following Christ change the way we love our neighbor as ourselves? The answer is that Christ showed us how to love one another in submission. And so believers ought to follow his lead, not by the power of our flesh, but by the power of his spirit dwelling within us as we abide in him and he in us. So instead of living selfishly and unlovingly toward our neighbors, Christ shows us the way to love our neighbor as ourselves in submitting to each other for the good of the other. God's kingdom is truly an upside-down kingdom. Like, this is not the way the world works as we know it. Instead of demanding that others submit to us for our good, Christ modeled how we can submit to one another for their good. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we too are empowered to walk in his footsteps in a holy submission. We don't have to go on blowing off those good and right times to submit to one another, like Veruca ignoring Wonka's and her father's words. Here's how we can apply this. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 without putting your faith in Christ. Submit to him by faith. He loves you. And whatever pictures of submission you have that are those negative worldly pictures, put those out of your mind and picture the kind of submission that Christ demonstrated out of his deep, deep love for you. Put your faith in Christ. Believe. We have to begin there because otherwise when we just strive to follow his lead out of the power of our flesh, we're just working toward works righteousness. And it's going to blow up. Maybe not right away, but it will. It'll end poorly. So submit to Christ by faith. Let each of us, as much as it depends on us, look to seize these good and right opportunities to submit to one another in love. Do you want to lead there's some young people in here who are maybe on the cusp of that, people who are maybe flirting with the idea of that, whether you want to be a Sunday school teacher, whether you want to lead a company, whether you want to be an elder or deacon, whether you want to uh, be an officer in the army. The precondition for healthy leadership in God's kingdom is the ability to submit to one another in love. You are not fit to lead without being able to submit to one another in love. Uh, 
I want you to consider, I'm a guest here, so I, I don't know much about your church, but I want you to take stock as a church family that maybe you think about this long after I'm gone. Um, how are you doing as a church in cultivating a culture where we put submission to one another and love into practice? And if you're frustrated right now, I do not want you to speed to all the ways that you're super frustrated. I want you to slow down and actually thank God for the gifts. Thank God for the good things that are at work. But at the same time, I encourage each and every one of you to take stock of where do you want to see more of God's grace and his mercy poured out on Christ Presbyterian Church Clarksville? Where do you want to see him do more to make us a culture of people who demonstrate the love of God in how we live with each other? Maybe some good conversations will follow along after I'm gone. I asked at the beginning, where do we turn to deal with our selfishness? Let me wrap this thing up. I know I've been talking for a while. Once we put our faith in Christ, we transform from being unthankful to thankful. We go from not submitting to one another to laying down our lives for one another. We become a lot less like Veruca and a lot more like Jesus. We don't persist in being ungrateful like I was when I was deployed but we become grateful for what God has done for us, in us, and is going to do for us. Submission doesn't remain an only shameful thing, but it becomes a way that we love our neighbors, and it becomes glorious. It becomes a testimony. Why? Because if we're in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, He has empowered us to love God and our neighbor like He does. Imperfectly, yes, but it's happening in the heart of every believer. He's not done with you yet. Praise God. So let's stumble our way forward under glory together then, huh? What do we do? Where do we turn to deal with our selfishness? Your one sentence again that I gave you in the beginning, because Christ showed us how to love, we ought to follow his lead. And if you try to do it out of the power of your flesh, it will fail. But if you abide in him and he in you, he will give you the power to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he will carry you through to the very end. So may God give us the grace here and now in the midst of a really fractured culture, the, the tail end of a global pandemic. Maybe it's not tail end, depending on who you listen to. This contentious season where every time you turn on the news, there seems to be some new horror to unfold? Would God give us the grace to be different than the unbelieving world in our thankfulness, always for everything, not cheap, but deep and real and powerful? May he make us different as people who submit to one another and lay our lives down for each other and for our neighbors. Would our neighbors come to know us, the church in America, the church in Clarksville and elsewhere, as a community that is deeply thankful to God, and who readily lays our lives down in submission for one another, for each other's good. And in doing that, may we decrease, and may Christ increase. To him be all the glory. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us for the ways that we fail time and time and time again to live the way that you've called us to. We thank you that mercy is seen so clearly for us every time we look to the cross. Every time we think of what Jesus suffered in our place, we are reminded of your mercy and your kindness to us. So Lord, 
empower us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Make us more than people who talk a good game, but transform our lives. Start with us. Help us to look in the mirror. Start with our families. Start with our local churches. Help us not to worry about what's happening too much over there. The, the speck in our neighbor's eye. Help us to deal with the log in our own. And Lord, teach us to be gracious as you are gracious to us, as you are merciful to us. Conform us into your image and send us out as witnesses of the good news that you have suffered and you have died in our place and you are risen and you will return in glory to wipe every tear from our eyes and that you are making all things new. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.